Okay, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> All right, that's, that's actually the punchline to a joke you have to have been here for. But anyway, so uh, anyway, uh, these are, we're, we're, we're learning about Pesach and Chometz and, and, and why we're so mad at bread and why we want to get rid of it and, and all the rest. So let's just launch in on this topic of why we're so mad at bread. So, so we have two main ideas that unfortunately often get confused. And we have to really keep them straight in our head because this is actually life and death stuff, believe it or not. That's the distinction between ego and self-esteem. So there's a very beautiful concept in Torah called bittel, but, but most people don't get it because it gets mixed up in the translation and in the communication of this thought. So let's try to figure out what bittel is. And, and like I said, in order to understand this concept of bittel, you have to know the difference between ego and self-esteem. So self-esteem we like. We prize self-esteem. God wants us to have self-esteem. Self-esteem means you understand that you're a creation of God and that you're incredibly valuable and you're unique and there's no replacement for you and there's never a you in all of history that ever was before and that's ever going to be. And no moment in time is, is the same. So the you in each moment of time is completely unique to the history of the world. Right? I'm exhausted having thought of that. <laughs> I mean, it's not my thought, but that's, that's, that's what the Torah says. I mean, so, so in other words, every single moment is inherently valuable and in, inherently unique, right? So this is, I mean, when we, when we consider how we're using our time, especially our quote-unquote downtime, right? It really, this, this should give us a, a lot of impetus to, to make the most out of every single moment. Amen. But anyway, so this idea that... Um, that, that, that we have to have great self-esteem, that's, that's the engine for our growth, that's the engine for our service, it's so important. Okay, so that's, we want self-esteem. Ego, we don't want. What's ego? So in this context, ego would mean attributing false power to yourself. Attributing power that belongs to God to yourself. And thinking really like, I've shared with you many times, one of the deepest things I ever heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of the, the Beis Yaakov, the second Ishvitzer Rebbe, he says that, he said that every single person deep down, deep, deep, deep down, thinks that they created themselves. Right? Now, we know rationally that's not true. We, we understand that there's such a thing as, as parents. We, we, we get that. And yet, deep, deep, deep down, nonetheless, every single person thinks that they created themselves. This is... This is something that a person really has to uproot and, 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 and think about and struggle with because it's the source of a lot of delusion stems from that, you know? Um, so ego we want to get rid of. And bread, especially this time of year, bread stands for this type of ego that we want to eliminate. So now imagine, I'm going to sort of demonstrate with my hands. I'm putting one hand over another hand with a little space in between. So, so you've got the top and you've got the bottom and you've got the bread which is all puffed up in the middle. And that's, that stands for ego. That, that's, that's the idea that we're giving ourselves power that we really don't have. We want to get rid of that middle part. We want to get rid of that ego. And just imagine that, that top and the bottom with the filling in between. So, so, you know, I was thinking about why matzah is, is 
why just just another level of in terms of trying to understand matzah and you know we've got the head and the heart you know your head is in one place your heart is in another place and they say that the, the the biggest distance in the entire universe is is the distance between the head and the heart you know part of the distance is because it's so clogged up with all sorts of things in between and if you think of bread Again, you've got the top of bread and the bottom of bread. What, what's, what's in the middle there? It's that puffed up sense of overinflated sense of our own power, right? And so if you get rid of that, the top collapses down to the bottom and it becomes flat. And all of a sudden you have matzah. So I want to say that matzah is the embodiment of the head and the heart being together. And that that's why matzah is, you know, they say like matzah is like spiritual medicine. That when you eat matzah, it actually, they say it's like the bread of faith. It actually has a transformative effect on you, eating matzah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a spiritual, like, um, you know, just it just, it, just, it, just, it just brings you up. I, I don't even have the words for it. And, and why? Because... There's no ego in it. It's just the head and the heart together. So that level of, of clarity and focus, if we can have that, that's, that, that's everything. That's, that's literally everything. Um, so we've talked so much, the, the last two talks, we've talked so much about how this redemptive aspect of, of being in the moment and um, if you want to look at those talks, I, I think I called it Passover 2018. Um, you, you, can, you can hear more about that. But so, so I want to I go deeper and, and discuss something sort of, it's actually very Kabbalistic. Um, but I'll try to explain it along the way. And, and I'm going to do my best effort to just explain to you just how, how, my, my understanding of it. So this comes from, it's an Ari, and it comes from the Moor of Hashemish. He brings it. And um, we're going to talk about a couple of names of Hashem. And I always have to give this preface. I feel like, you know, whenever you like look at a video or something like that, they always have the, the FBI warning about, you know, like, like bootlegging this stuff. So, so I have to give you my FBI warning whenever we discuss the names of Hashem, that there is only one God. We're only talking about Hashem, the God of Israel, the master of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe. Ein od milvado. We don't say, we don't say our God is stronger than your God. We say there is only one power in the world, and that's Hashem. Okay, nonetheless, we want to know, like in different aspects, God will manifest himself in this way or in that way. And in order to more accurately describe how God is manifesting himself, We'll use a different name to describe that so that we get an insight of just the divine mechanics of how God is operating in that moment. So that will require a different name for Hashem, but we're only talking about Hashem. We're only talking about the one God. That's it. Okay. So with that in mind, there is a a name of God. The the fancy term for it in English is the Tetragrammaton, right? That's the Yud-Kei-Vav-Kei, the four-letter name of, of God, right? That's the letters... Yud and He and Vav and He. So, by the way, just so you know, because I'll probably be switching back and forth, oftentimes, because Yud and He spells out a name of God, right? So we'll say Yud Ke, 
right? Because there's so much reverence. We want to have so much reverence built into our discussion, even in the spelling of the name of God, that, that we put up sort of like um, barriers so that we don't, God forbid, you know, just sort of use his name casually. So Yud and He, these two letters, will say Yud Ke. Okay, very good. So this, this name of God stands for love, stands for mercy, Rachmim, right? That's the Yud Ke Vav Ke, God's greatest name. Okay. Now there's another name, Elohim. It, it would be Elohim, but we'll say Elohim for the same reasons. And Elohim stands for din or judgment, right? It also interestingly stands for nature, right? Because there's this sort of this order imposed on this world. And, and so when we talk about the natural order of the world, we'll use the name Elohim, right? In fact, the gematria of Elohim is Hateva, which means, which means nature. So that's, that's, uh, that, that's interesting. So, so anyway, so now let's, let's start to get into uh, this Ari that's brought by the Mer Vashemesh. Very, very interesting. He says, he says that, uh, that Paro, you ready for this? Paro had mastery over the letters Yud and He. And this is really, this is like a very, very far out thought. And that not only did he have mastery over these two letters, and we're going to, let's try to, let's try to understand it. This is not broad in what, what I read, but, but this is my unpacking it for you and my, my attempt to try to make sense of this very, very esoteric teaching. See, when it says that Paro had mastery over the letters Yud and He, and it's referring to, he's referring specifically to the Yud and the He of God's, of God's, of God's name, right? Yud Ke Vav Ke, right? And, and, and that stands for mercy, we said. So we have this other name, Elohim, which stands for judgment. And it says that in his mastery of these letters of Yud and He, Within this merciful name of God, he stopped the flow of the Yud and the He into the name Elohim, which also has a Yud and a He in it, but which stands for judgment or din or like strictness. So in other words, this, this Yud and He from the Yud Ke Vav Ke, which, is, which stands for, that name stands for love, the emanation of those letters which would sweeten the judgment of the strictest din contained in the name Elohim, he was able, through his mastery of these letters, Yud and He, to cut off that flow into the sweetening of judgment. Is that, is that, is that basic point clear? Yeah. Is that basic point clear? So in other words, let me just try to say it simply. Elohim stands for judgment, but there's a little sweet part in that. The Yud and the He of the Yud Ke Vav Ke. He blocked the emanation of those letters into that name so that it was just strictness. Okay? Okay, so that, that's a very, very interesting thought. That's a very, very interesting thought. And, and thereby, says the Ari, he was able to keep the Jews enslaved. And, and, and it says, by the way, one of the most intriguing lines in the whole Haggadah, that if God hadn't taken us out, to this day we would still be slaves in Egypt. 
And everyone always like wonders about that. Like, really? Thousands of years later, we would actually be slaves in Egypt to this day? So it's, it's a very, all this stuff is very, very far out. It's very, very deep. So I'm going to try to explain it to you as best as I can. And I think that, you know, I'm not saying that this is shot, but this is, what I'm about to say, I think makes sense. And at least on one level, it's a way to understand this teaching. So the first thing that you have to do is, is just look at what, what are we talking about when we're talking about these letters, Yod and He, right? Yod Ke. So, so it says in the Gomorrah and Menachos that God actually created heaven and earth with these two letters. That he created the next world with the letter Yud, and he created this world with the letter He. So now all of a sudden we've got another insight into a whole other level of what's going on in terms of this teaching. We're talking about the creation of heaven and earth. Okay? Now... Now, a couple of things that's interesting about this idea that God created the, 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 the heavens and the earth with these letters, Yod and He. One thing is a lot of people, like, they think that, um, well, I'm living this life, and I hope there's a heaven after I die, right? Like, as though, like, who knows if it's there, but I'm hoping it's there. But, but our tradition is that that was actually created. It's already, it's already created, and it already exists. Right? Olama Ba already exists. The next world already exists. So, so that's, that's important, because I always go back to this idea of what I call bad math, which is that I think that people think the following. Um, I, to the, the, that God exists to the extent that I believe in him. Right? So if you're really religious, wow, God really exists for you. But I'm not so religious, so that doesn't really exist. So that there's this correlation between believing in God and creating his reality. But God exists whether you believe in him or not. <laughs> in fact, one of the wonders of God is that he sustains us and allows us to live as we deny his existence. This is an amazing, this is an amazing thing about God, right? So... So the next world, Alamo, Bai, Heaven, whatever it is, they all already exist. They were all already created. In fact, they were created first. And the Medrash says, like one of my one of my favorite Midrashim, it says in the beginning of the Torah, it says, Breshis bara Elohim, you know, out of beginnings uh, or with beginnings, bless you, God created. Now get ready for this next line. Es Hashamayim, the heavens, the Es Haaretz, and the earth. It mentions God creating the heavens first and then the earth. So the Medrash says, when you build a house, do you build the roof or the ground floor first? Right? Bless you. So, of course, you build the first floor first, and then you build up. Like, that's just, that's just common sense, right? You don't build the roof or the second floor first, and then the first floor. It doesn't work, right? What's it going to do? It's just going to float in the sky, right, while you make the first floor? But that's exactly what God did. First he created the heavens, and then he created the earth. It's an amazing thing. Like, yeah, they had no, how did he do that? And the Medrash says that this is yet another instance of how God is not like us. Right? So, so first the heavens were created, then the earth. So this letter Yud stands for the heavens. So God created the heavens already. 
It's, we don't have to worry. Do they exist? Do they not exist? They're, they're there. Okay. Then we have the earth. That's the letter Hay. So the letter Hay is really interesting. You know, it's, it's, if, you, if, you, if you don't know what the letter Hay looks like, you know, just look it up right now. But I'll just kind of draw it in the air for you. It's, it's like that. Okay? And there's a space up here. And there's a bigger space below. So that's a Hay. And what's interesting about the hay, so the Gomorrah says in Menachos said that it's got, it's open on the bottom, it's got a big opening on the bottom for all the wicked to fall through. But there's an opening up here at the top that they can come and return. So the Gomorrah asks a great question, why don't, why don't they just come in through the bottom? If they fell through at the bottom, <laughs> let them come back through the bottom. So it says... No, you can't come back through the area that you exited through. You have to come back in a new way. A very deep insight about human nature. You know, the, the, the Navi Yechezkel, the prophet Yechezkel, Ezekiel, talked about the, the layout of the third base Hamigdash, and one of the details that he mentions, very interesting, he says that when you enter through a certain gate, you have to leave through another gate. You can't leave through the gate that you entered through. And I heard Rabbi Simcha Weinberg explain that in a very interesting way. What does that mean that you have to leave from a different place from the area that you entered? That means that you have to have been transformed in some way. If you just walk out the same door that you entered through, then how are you different from before you entered in the first place? If you leave from a different exit from where you entered, then already you're, you're, it shows a, 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 there's a transformation on some level that's taken place in the person. So, so we can apply that to the letter hey as well. That you're re-entering, but you're not re-entering through the place that you fell out from. You're re-entering from a different place. And by the way, just, just to take it one step further, you're re-entering at a higher place. Right? Because there's been some element of transformation in you. And now you're, you're able to, to get in, you know? So that's, um, so the world is always open. The world is always open to fall out of, and the world is always open to return back through it, right? Like, like, like we said, it's like they say in AA, in terms of falling off the wagon, but you, in Torah, you always fall onto another wagon when you fall off the wagon because you have a mitzvah to return. There's certain mitzvahs. This is one of the crazy things of the Torah. There's certain mitzvahs that you can only keep if you've broken other mitzvahs. It's a very strange thing in the Torah. Like, how do you keep the mitzvah of returning lost property or, or returning stolen property? Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> so... And how do you keep the mitzvah of doing tshuva? Right? Which means to, like, you know, return if you didn't go away to begin with, right? Which implies some element of wrongdoing. So, so anyway, this is, this is what it is. Um, but but let's, we're still trying to understand this Ari, trying to understand what does it mean that Paro, right? Paro, who is like the embodiment of Tuma, of spiritual impurity. What does it mean that he had mastery over the letters Yud and Hey? This is so far out. How, how can we try to understand this? Now we're saying even more that, that, that Yud and He are the letters that Hashem created the world with. That's what the Talmud says in Menachos. So now it's even a stronger question. Like, how did he have 
power over these letters. What does that mean to have had power over these letters? What does it mean that he blocked the emanation of this of this sweetness from the Yudke Vavke, sweetening the din of Elohim? Well, how, how do we understand all this? Okay, so I want to offer just in my own uh, limitedness, a, a just the way I, I understand it. So, there's a, I, I want to approach it from a psychological um, standpoint. Um, and and um, you know, there's a very important uh, principle, foundation that all of us have to know, which is that um, that perception influences reality. How one perceives certain things actually affects what's around you. So I want to um, I want to give a few examples of that. So we talked about the importance of self-esteem. Imagine you're sitting in a restaurant and you have very low self-esteem. And you see someone across from you is laughing. Well, if they're laughing, of course they're laughing at you, right? Because you feel terrible about yourself. So it couldn't be that they just heard something funny or read something funny. It couldn't be that they just thought of something funny and that's why they're laughing. Of course they're laughing at you because you're there to be laughed at, right? Because this is what you think of yourself. So the, you, you attribute a reality, you project a reality to your surroundings based on how you feel about yourself internally, right? So let's say you're running for the bus and the bus goes and, and leaves before you get there. Well, why did that happen? Because everybody hates me. Everyone's against me. Otherwise the bus would have stopped. Right? But no. How about you're late for the bus? How about that? D- does that work for you? <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry to destroy your self-destructive conspiracy theory for a moment. <laughs> but how about showing up five minutes earlier? Right? But, no, of course the bus is leaving without me because everyone is against me. So, again, how you feel about yourself is how you see the world. Remember, this is, this is Rorschach. You have the Rorschach test, which is a, a staple in psychoanalytic, you know, whatever. And where they show ink blots, which don't make any real picture at all. They're just ink blots. And, and, and they show them to people, and they say, what do you see in this, what do, what, what do you see in this picture? They're just ink blots, by the way. And, you know, if a person says, oh, that's a picture of my mother trying to stab me in the bathtub. <laughs> you go, okay, I think I'm getting a sense for, you know, <laughs> what you, what's going on in your mind. This is helpful. <laughs> we're, we're making progress here, right? By the way, my father told me that the origin of the Rorschach test was there was a Dr. Rorschach. There was the, he's a real man. He would walk with patients on the grounds of the hospital, and they would walk and talk, and he would look at clouds, and he would say, what does that cloud look like to you? And this is the origin of the, and then he, he saw that this, this tool was so helpful that he sort of institutionalized it into this, these inkblot tests, and that, that's, that's, that's the history of it. So life is like a Rorschach test as well. How you feel about yourself you will see in the events going on around you. Okay? So this is, this is the idea of, of one's perception influencing one's reality. Okay? 
Now let's take it a step deeper, because when we talk about Pesach, Pesach, I believe it's the Ari, breaks it down into two, two, two words. Pesach is, of course, the, the holiday, but, it, but it, 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 it could be also Peh and Sach, which means the mouth speaks. So, so the mouth speaks. This is, this is deep, because it, we say that Hashem created the world by essentially speaking it into existence. Like we, we talk about the ten utterances of creation. Like, let there be light. Right? That, that, that's the first one, right? Or Breshis is the first one, right? So you, you, have, you, you have this notion of speaking reality into being. And with this, with this in mind, it gives us like um, a deep insight into, into how important it is to speak properly. In other words, in order, to, in order not to speak Lashon Hara, uh, evil speech, because, because you're just like God created the universe, right? He spoke and it came to be. We are godlike, right? We, we, are, we are created in the image of God. We are godlike in that, not that God has any physicality whatsoever. But we're godlike in that we have this ability also to speak and also to create worlds. So let me let me explain what I mean by that. If I say to you, see that guy over there? That guy's a bad guy. Right? Now you didn't know anything about him before. And okay, so you didn't have an opinion about him one way or the other. Now I tell you, that guy's a bad guy. Um by the way, there are certain instances where saying something like that is appropriate. Like, for instance, but you, you have to really be in, in, in consultation with a, a halachic authority, like with a Rav who, who understands these things. Like, for instance, let's say someone wants to go out on a date with someone, um, you know, for, say, marriage purposes or something like this, and you happen to have information that this person is really like a, a, a cad. He's like not a good guy. There are instances where you have an obligation to share that information, but you, you have to share it in an appropriate way. And in, in, you, you can't, you're, you're not keeping Torah by denying someone essential life-saving information, right? So that, that's important to know. Same thing goes with business dealings. If you know someone is about to get into business with someone who's a, a, a crook, you can't say, oh, it's Lashon Hara for me to say that this guy has been investigated by the police multiple times. You know, I'm, I'm going to be holy. And not, that's, not, that's actually not the halach in that instance. So there are instances, but again, you have to be very careful and you have to consult with, with an authority of just what you can say and how you can say it. But, um, but it's not like we just turn a blind eye. That's not, Torah is very sophisticated and a very here and now, exacting, embracing worldview. We're not naive, but we are idealistic, right? Big distinction. That's a beautiful thing about Torah. We're not naive, but we are idealistic, right? Okay. Anyway, so let's keep on going. But now let's get to a, the, the negative side of it, where it's sort of like, that guy didn't invite me to, to his party, and so I'm going to tell everyone that he's a, just a, he's a jerk and a horrible person. Which is like, that would be Lashon Hara. Because you know what? You don't have to be invited to every party. 
you know, just if you're not invited to a party, just get over it. That's that's just that's my advice. Okay. So <laughs> so anyway, I I, I tell you that um, that this is a bad guy because I have a personal grudge against him. Now all of a sudden, and and I'm being very literal right now. I have created a new world with my speech because before you lived in a world where that guy was a fine guy or you didn't have an opinion about that guy. You now literally inhabit a brand new world where that guy is a bad guy. It's it's literally a new world. I'm not and I'm being 10,000% non-mystical right now. I'm telling you you are living in a brand new world where you now will maybe walk around him to avoid him, right? Or you may now share that information since you think I'm a credible source with other people who will share it with other people. And now all of a sudden this person's life is now changing because waves of people now are reacting differently to this person and his, inf- his circumstances are being transformed all through speech. So, so every time we speak, now it says, this is getting very mystical now, but it's, it's, I, I think it's a beautiful thought. Our tradition is that God created and destroyed many worlds before he created this one. So do you see how when we're talking during the course of the day, all the time, also listening to the news and media and everything like that, there's so much talking going on. There's so much reality creating and world creating going on where new worlds are being made every single moment and old worlds are being destroyed every single moment. Like that process of creation and destruction of worlds, literally, is going on every single moment in the world. Until, now, but can you imagine if we start saying good things, how we literally are evolving the world around us toward a positive place? Where we can be inhabiting a positive place? Okay, so now let's get back to Para. We haven't forgotten about Para. So I want to say, how could it be? How could it be that he had that he was keeping the Jews enslaved, perhaps for all times, through his mastery of these letters, Yud and He. Well, we said that Yud and He stands for the letters that God created the entire world with. Well, he oppressed us, and he made us so miserable, para, that he made us feel like, on some level, that the world was a miserable place. That the world was absolutely a hopeless, terrible place. And if you believe that the world is a hopeless, terrible place, then what did we say? We said that this name Elohim, which stands for judgment, right? And that the gematria of Elohim, right, is Hateva. It stands for nature, which is like which is this physical world this, that, 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 that surrounds us. If through his enslavement of us and his giving over to us this sense of hopelessness in the world, do you see how he could have blocked the flow of the Yud and the He from the divine name 
In other words, if this world, which we associate with this name, Elohim, was, 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 was a hopeless place for us, it had no sweetness and no love in it. That's a very real way of blocking off that divine flow from the Yudke Vavke. Because he influenced our perception. And by influencing our perception, he influenced our reality. And so the world around us actually became this, this horrible, hopeless place. And that was the nature of enslavement. You know, I... I I saw from, well, I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of Reb Lebele Eger that the nature of exile is thinking that because yesterday was a drag and because today is the same drag like yesterday was, therefore tomorrow is going to be the same drag as today and yesterday were. But who says tomorrow is going to be the same drag that today and yesterday were? He says that that's exile. Exile is thinking because yesterday was like yesterday and today is the same, that tomorrow is also going to be the same. But we don't know what tomorrow is going to be. We don't know what tomorrow is going to be. But if a person is certain that they know what tomorrow is going to be because they had an unhappy today and an unhappy yesterday, then that's, that's a state of enslavement. That's, that is exile. That is exile. So, so it didn't work. That's the good news. <laughs> it didn't work. It didn't work. And... He goes on to say that these same letters, Yud and He, were actually the cause of his own doing. And it's a, he did, I didn't see him make this point, but it, it becomes very sort of complicated how, how he shows that the Yud and the He were the source of his undoing. But, but I'll just, maybe he says this, but it wasn't brought by in this excerpt that I read. But I'll just offer this. You know, Yud and He adds up to 15. What's the, what's, what, what, when do we celebrate the exit from all this badness? On the 15th, Yud and He is 15. On the 15th of Nisan is Pesach. <laughs> so that, that very thing that he, you know, supposedly had some level of mastery over was his undoing. Like, like God said, you know, should I make it the 14th? No, let me make it the 15th. <laughs> the exact 15th is, is the exact day that we left all of this. You know? You know, I want to say just, just, just one more level within this. You see, the word Elohim, right, this name Elohim, which means justice, which means, you know, the world around us and everything like that, it does have the letters Yud and He in it, right? But, but, but like we said, Paro was able to somehow, you know, with these black arts or his, the Tzada Tuma, whatever, whatever he was accessing to sort of, cut the, the, the invigoration of this, of this element of chesed, of love, of mercy, within judgment. You see, if someone says, like, let's just, just, just explore just 
for one moment what that means, uh, on, on just on a human level. You see, if a person says, you know what, I'm going through hard times, but I know God is good. So I'm going to get through the hard times, or something good is happening even though I'm having hard times. That's the yud and the hay within the name Elohim. In other words, that's the sense of you see mercy within the judgment. But can you imagine, as, as the Ari is saying, that he cut off the flow to the letters yud and hay within Elohim? So that all a person sees is judgment around them? And that within the judgment itself, they don't see any element of good or any element of mercy? You see, if a person's worldview is that, then, then it doesn't matter whether you're a slave in Egypt, or you're a slave someplace else, or you're a free person in Syria or Babylonia or Rome or, you know, Chicago... It doesn't matter, because if, if all you see is a world that's hopeless, you're still a slave in Egypt. You, 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 you'll, you'll have never have left. So, so what, 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 we're, what we're trying to do, what the message of Torah is, is we're, we're just trying to tell people what actually is there. Right? You see, that's why it's, it's interesting. I think I heard, at, we don't say that Judaism or Torah is religion. Right? We say this is, we're just describing what's going on. Like, this is actually what's happening. This is reality. Like, I don't even know what religion is. Religion, is, I don't know, I, I don't, I'm not religious. I'm, I don't know what religion is. <laughs> It's either real or it's not real. <laughs> if it's not real, what do I need it for? If it's real, I can't live without it. So, so Torah is real. Torah is what's going on. And what's going on is actually something that's very, very hopeful. We believe that it's not like maybe there's a next world if I close my eyes and, you know, wish hard enough. It's there right now. The world is evolving toward this next stage of perfection. It's going on right now. You know, one of the, um, one of the especially, you know, incorrect and evil things that, 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 that Karl Marx, you know, put into the world was this notion that, that religion was the opiate of the masses, right? What does that mean? Religion is the opiate of the masses. So opium is something that it's like an escape. It's a drug. You take it and then you, you don't have to think about your life. You can sort of dwell in this fantasy realm. So, so, so religion was like the whole masses, the millions are taking opium and they can sort of escape the world and live in a fantasy realm, right? So... You know, one of the most hurtful things that anyone ever said to me, really, was when I was starting to become more observant, they looked at me with the utmost condescension and said, what are you looking for? What am I, what am I looking for? Are you, are you serious? Why there's a world? Why I exist? What I'm supposed to do with my life? That, that's what I'm looking for. 
Is, is that a good enough answer for you? Are you happy now? There, there, there is a reality to, to this world. And, and it's, you know, I, I had the privilege of, of working, I, I mentioned it, with a really one of, the, one of the top minds in the scientific world right now. I, it, he's, I'm working with him on this project a little bit, and, and he's a beautiful, lovely guy. I love him. I really do. But not, not, not quote-unquote, a believer, right? And, and, and super brilliant. And I think that the, that the temptation is to think that, okay, so, you know, you believe, I don't believe, right? We can still be friends, you know? I, I see you're a good guy. I see you're a good guy. We, we like each other. It's all good. Okay, so that's it. You believe, I don't believe. That's it. That's the end of the conversation. But that's not the end of the conversation. Because after 120, we die. And then one person's right and one person's wrong. The conversation continues. It's not just two people like getting along with each other over a cup of coffee, exchanging interesting ideas. At a certain point, there is proof that one person was right and one person was wrong. And again, this is not, I, 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 I mention this because we have to have a more expansive view of what's at stake in terms of how we speak to each other, how we approach our own lives. You know, I, I, I had a moment, I was driving in the car this week, and there's so many things going on, and I was just trying to wrap my mind around them, and I was, you know, sort of in a state of emotional imbalance at the moment. You know, I just just was trying to get a handle on things and kind of get back to how I kind of normally get through the day. And I just s said to myself, like, you know, like, you, have you ever seen a gyroscope? You know, a gyroscope is, you can look it up if you haven't seen it. It's a really interesting little device, you know, but it, it maintains its balance, you know. It's just this very interesting thing. And I was like, you know, your emotions, your, your, your stability, whatever it is, it's like a gyroscope. You have to maintain that. <laughs> like that is, that is crucial to whatever you're doing. Forget about every other category of what you're doing. That gyroscope has to be balanced. Otherwise, nothing else is going to work. So, so I just was able to, you know, kind of think through a couple of things. And it's like, Okay, I'm good. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay, happy ending to that story within a few blocks of driving. I was like, okay, okay. You know, a lot of times, by the way, I, I don't know if this will work for everyone, but I just, this is something I go through, so I, I put it out there. A lot of times you, you're, you're feeling something, and you don't know why you're feeling. Now, now it's not so simple. A, a lot of times this requires not 10 minutes worth of thought, but, but, but years of therapy. So I don't, want to like, I don't want to oversimplify this process, but I'm really just talking about it uh, on a, you know, if, if it's not too complicated, right? Sometimes you're feeling something and you don't know why you're feeling it. You know, you're, you have some anxiety and you don't know why you're having that anxiety. And if you just think, why am I having this anxiety? And you just do kind of just run through what's going on in your life at that point. 
Like a lot of times I'll hit a certain thing and I'll go, oh, that's it. That's what it is. That is unresolved in my life right now. Okay, and then you can think, well, what can I do to, to, to fix that up? Or why am I, is that, is the way I'm feeling about that particular thing even appropriate? Like I may have just, you might just have had a reactive sort of moment to that news and not really thought it through. And, and so it could be that you can solve the problem on the spot yourself, you know? So that, that's, that's what I just, it, it's good to not have free-floating anxiety. It's good to go through life without that. And, and if you can just sort of isolate what it is, then, then that's, that's, a, that's a positive thing, right? Because oftentimes you can just kind of more or less fix it on the spot, right? Just with a little bit of thinking. But like I say, they're definitely way more complicated cases. So, um, but all these things are levels. So, so let's just, let's just wrap it up. Um, you know, just, just cause it was this week's Parsha, we'll just kind of just end with this and just end on a, on a, on a Pesach note. So, so it, it says, uh, Parsha's Tzav, which we're, we're often reading, right, as we get into Pesach, right, right toward the beginning, it's, uh, I guess it's in Vayikra, Leviticus, like, uh, chapter 6, verse, uh, verse 6, the, the last couple of words, it's talking about how, um, that a permanent fire has to remain on the altar, and it says it should not be extinguished. So in Hebrew, that, that would be lo tichbeh, Lo means not. Tichbeh means extinguished. So, lo tichbeh. Um, so, so the Maggid of Mezrich says, you know what has to be extinguished? All the lows, all the no's. In other words, he's saying a deeper idea. Not just that the permanent flame should not be distinguished. All the knots, all the no's should be extinguished. <laughs> so, so this is an amazing Torah, and and it's it's this idea that in our in our lives, you see, we left Egypt quickly. We left Egypt quickly. Rabbi Nachman tells a story of 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 of, of, a, of a warrior who's leading an army and is able to scale all these fortresses and get through these troops and everything like that and they get right to the military leaders like the captain or the king or whatever it is the leader's door and they see like there's a cobweb in front of it and they go oh it's a cobweb let's go let's retreat run go back the other way it's like no you overcame all of these obstacles and there's just a cobweb in front of you and you're gonna let that stop you like are you crazy so he's giving this as an example of what it is like, what, whatever stage we are in our lives, do you know how much you had to get through to get to this stage in your life? I don't care how old you are, right? What you had to overcome, and you're going to see a cobweb and turn away and run away? Like you overcame way more than this already. So, so you have to keep on moving. That's getting rid of the nose. But you see, there's this weird thing that Pesach is like tuning us into, which is that if you 
let the no linger. Mm-hmm. It starts to get this sort of magical sort of power to it. The no becomes bigger. It's like the dough, the matzah, rising and becoming chametz in front of you. See, because if you don't need the dough, need with a K, right? If you're not working the dough and you just let it sit there, it rises and it becomes chametz, right? If you've got a no in front of you, and you're not working with that, if you're not clearing away the cobweb, if, you're not, if you don't maintain the, the forward momentum, all of a sudden that cobweb starts to look like an iron bar. Mm. Right? And then a steel door. Wow. Mm. That, that, that's part of the teaching of what it means that we left Egypt quickly. Mm. We left it quickly. Wow. See, because if you go fast then you don't allow these barriers to become bigger in your mind. And remember, what did we say? That one's perception influences one's reality. So the more something seems to be strong, the more we become afraid of it. And then fear sets in. So, so this, is, this is the redemptiveness of Pesach. The redemptiveness of Pesach is is we're moving, but we're also moving fast. Right? And that doesn't mean um, being a bull in a china shop. Right? It doesn't mean that you surrender sophistication and elegance. But it also means that you don't, you, you, you don't, you don't stop. Right? This is, this is important. Um, and I just want to, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, I may have, but just end on this thought because to me it's a, it's a real mind-blowing thought and it ties into what we just said. So what is this idea of Seder, right? Excuse me, Seder means an order. And if you look at the Seder that we have, Seder night, the, the, the Passover dinner, right? It's called the Seder. There is no order to it. That's, that's kind of like one of, it's, it's almost funny how, how it's called order and yet there's no real order to it. Or at least not on a, a, a here and now um, intuitive level. Like just to give one small example, what other festive dinner have you ever heard of where you eat like a sprig of parsley <laughs> and then you don't eat anything else for another hour and a half? Right? Like that's not normal. That's not normal. My, my daughter is learning in Israel right now. And she said that at a certain point in, in Jewish history, all the guests would lift up the Seder table. Wow. Right? Like now we lift up the, 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 the Pesach plate. Right? But before they used to lift up the entire table. So again, these were like all things that were supposed to trigger people asking questions and to wonder what's going on. So, so normally speaking, when you have an order, you have eliminated the process of people stopping and asking, right? Like, it's like, so, so I heard, and I, I, it was either from the Chedusha Rim or from the, the Maral, I think it was the Maral, who, who is saying that what is the Seder of Pesach night? What is the order of Pesach night? It's to teach us that there is no order. It's not that there isn't, 
listen very carefully. It's not just that we go out of order. It's not that we're going out of order. It's that Seder night is to teach us there is no order. There is no order. There is no order to the world. I mean, eventually, right, at any moment, right, Mashiach will come, the world will reach its next level of perfection, right? Its next stage of evolution. But how we get there is totally up to us. It's totally up to us. And, you know, the Chidush Arim says that, uh, that there's a new revelation of what it means to leave Egypt for every door, for every generation. That means that there's an insight into how to gain freedom that no one's ever had before. And maybe that's why each one of us has to see ourselves as having left individually, right? Like we have to put ourselves in that situation of leaving because we also have to integrate the knowledge that is only available to us right now in this generation to figure out how to unlock this this unbelievable puzzle, right? And just to end on this this piece of imagery that I heard way back from Rabbi Deo, that Pesach night is like a person in a jail cell where the door has been open, but now it's up for the person to leave. It's up to the person to leave. So this is, like I always say, like, like a lot of people think that this is the, 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 the what it means to, to, to believe. They go, God, you run the world. Everything is in your hands. I'm putting it all in your hands. So that's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And then God says, that's so beautiful, and now I'm putting the ball back in your hands. And you go, thank you, God, for believing me in me also. I believe in you. you. You believe in me and empowering me. And I'm giving it back to you, God. And God says, ah, that's so unbelievable. And now I'm giving it back to you. <laughs> and it doesn't stop. And the problem is, is that so many people are holding the ball. God gave it back to them. And they... they didn't see that happen. They still think God has it. <laughs> but they're holding it. And that process of handing it back and forth is till 120, till the last day of our life. Right? That's us leaving the jail cell. That's us extinguishing the nose. That's us seeing the cobweb after defeating all these armies and not turning back. That's us moving quickly so that we don't allow the chametz to rise and we don't allow our own egos to trap us and stop us. Now for some questions and answers. What about the mastery over letters? Mm, great question. Right, so... Right, so a lot of this is, is built on that. So I guess, you know, when we talk about the letters and God creating the world with the letters, um, you know, the way I understand it in sort of like a more, say, contemporary vocabulary is there like energies, 
and or energy wavelengths. When we say God created the world with the Hebrew letters, he God used certain combinations of energies to to create the world. You know, like we say like E equals MC squared. Energy, right? Equals, you know, mass times the speed of light squared. So so what is what does that mean? What is that E? Okay? Just energy is pretty vague. So the Taurus becomes a little bit more, you know, specific in terms of trying to define the different energies of creation. And and those have different sort of like um correlations in, in how we discuss them. The spherot or would be one way that we discuss what those initial energies were. Right? Another way of uh, discussing the energies of, of creation are the, the Hebrew letters. So so these are just ways of sort of like uh, understanding the E of E equals M C square, if you will, you know. But why, like, Pharaoh have mastery over them and not this person or that person? Like, that, mm. that just one person can block the whole right. energy from coming so, in. Right. So that's what I tried to explain in this talk, is, is the idea that, that this yud and the hay, right, aren't just letters. That, that the Talmud says that God created the world with these letters. And what does it mean that, that he controlled these letters? That, that when he influenced the way we perceived the world, he was able to, so to speak, bring about the creation of a different world. If he was able to arouse in us hopelessness, he was able to actually, through these letters, if you will, create a hopeless world that we inhabited. So that, that, that's how I try to explain it, anyway.